Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I'm your host, Harrison Starr, for a midday sesh. Uh, the elusive lunchtime pod is my co-host Ben Ross referred to it. So Ben, how are you doing? I didn't know we're gonna I thought we we're gonna uh, keep this quickie a secret. Um, <laughs> luckily, I don't think either of our employers know what we really do for a living. So I don't think we can get in any trouble for talking hawks on the company clock. Hey, man, uh, I, I know how how it rolls in my neck of the woods. If my work gets done, that's all that matters, and uh, that's the way it goes. So I, I mean, uh, I feel pretty good about the state of things on the work side. So yeah, let's let's get this uh, <laughs> employer funded podcast underway. Um, I had an interesting weekend, Ben. I was texting you yeah. amidst the Iowa game at a uh, Austin City Limits. And uh, back home in Arkansas, my son was becoming progressively more ill. So Saturday, after a night of George Strait and Miley Cyrus and uh, uh, Phineas and Meg- Megan Stallion, of course, uh, my wife and I drove home Saturday to tend to our ill son, and it was not as fun as I would have liked uh, the weekend going into it. But, you know, a- as they say, all decisions have, have consequences, and the consequence of driving eight hours to Austin City Limits while Elliot was teetering on potentially being sick uh, had the consequence of driving eight hours back from Austin at seven in the morning. So you, you, did you cut your trip a day short then? Two days short. It was, yeah. Yeah. Some of our friends, um, they had a wager as to whether we could make it the full weekend. And having been there one day, I feel comfortable saying that had he not been sick, we would have made it the full, the full three days. Um, but you know, he, he ended up waking up yesterday morning with a sky-high fever, and that really kind of validated the decision for us to um, make sure we were back when we were back. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope everything's okay. Did your friends make the wager before they had the knowledge that you had a sick child at home with with a family member? Yeah, they did. They did. They thought it was just going to be pure anxiety that sent us home. And that played no small part, to be fair. But uh, it it was, you know, it's the way it goes. As you always say, I'll, I'll let you know, or I'll remind you of this in 10 years when you have a, a child and make the decision whether you're going to go to a music festival or not. And I think retrospect, just take the kid. I think that's that that would have been what we, we did and then figure out how to manage him in the evening hours. Um, so we'll see. Will we give next year a try? Uh, to be determined. Please just don't get sick, little guy. That That's really the ultimate lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, as someone who couldn't be further away from having a child, <laughs> I, <clears throat> the, this whole conversation is kind of riddling me with anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately settle on the fact that there's nothing I can do except for be there in situations like that. So, um, yeah, the weekend wasn't as fun as I would have liked from that perspective, but it was certainly enjoyable enough from an Iowa football perspective. I guess, let, let, before we turn to that, Ben, how was your weekend? A full Saturday, watching the games, you know, dipping your toes outside of the, the Iowa football pool, Um you know, becoming an internet celebrity with an Instagram picture uh, from a local restaurant. Um, so uh, a lot of different stuff happened for you. 
Yeah, I mean, first, I think, I'm sure we did, I can't remember, but we might have lambasted the Friday night game uh, on our previous pod, and, you know, it's really easy to feel good about a Friday night game when you win by 40 points. Yes. And you can spend the entire Saturday watching, uh, I mean, we quote-unquote good, Wisconsin-Michigan game, Georgia-Arkansas game, Alabama Ole Miss game, Notre Dame Cincinnati game, Penn State Indiana game. Really, the best game of the day, and I think unquestionably, Florida Kentucky offered yeah. some 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 entertainment. But the best of the day was by far LSU Auburn, which yeah. overall is I mean was relatively meeting relatively meaningless game. LSU I think is kind of in the gutter. I think their next three or four games include. Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss, or some combination of thereof, uh, and Auburn. I mean, I just don't think they have the horses to really do anything. Um, but Bonix made the play of the year, play of the year after being pulled against Georgia State the week prior. Um, Notre Dame played three different quarterbacks uh, during one single drive, similar to how Michigan treated Cade McNamara against the Michigan game, pulling him on a critical third and short situation just uh, after seeing how slow he was. I think they wanted to get the backup in there, um, even though there is a potential to for him to f- fumble it. it. It was a truly a 12-hour uh, day of mayhem. I, as you mentioned, I met, I met a friend of mine at a – watering hole and a little off, off the beaten path um, uh, in a neighborhood of Chicago. And we got there and didn't even realize it was a Michigan themed or Michigan affiliated bar. And normally, 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 normally in Chicago, that's like a very, not, not just Michigan, but if you go to a bar that's affiliated with a school in Chicago on a, on a set on during a game day, there's a 0% chance you're going to see a game that isn't being featured by that fan base. But I don't know if it's because of COVID or because of the location of that bar or because, you know, I, I said to my friend, Michigan Michigan men aren't uh, – this bar is in, I'll say, maybe a grittier location in Chicago, a little <laughs> bit less. I, I like to call some of the more popular neighborhoods of, of Chicago yoga stroller. Um, I'll let you decipher, I've been decipher as you want. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, I guess. Um, and this neighborhood is a little bit more – wallet chain and okay. fake jewelry, I guess. Um, and we were greeted by, I mean, and it's a nice bar. It's a really nice bar, really great food, great, great people. Um, and we got there and learned it was a Michigan bar. And there may be, you know, let's say there were 50 tables in this bar and only like 10 of them were taken up. Um, so we had, you know, we, there was a Michigan, Wisconsin sound on, which was fine. We were there to see Alabama, Georgia, my friend's dad, um, who I was there with when his dad went to Alabama. So he, you know, he had real Alabama bona fides in his blood, similar uh, to my Georgia, or excuse me, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Arkansas, excuse me, excuse me. And then from that bar, we went and watched uh, Alabama Ole Miss and Notre Dame Cincinnati, which, you know, those are both good to watch too. The Alabama Ole Miss game, I think we, we got we got punked as a, as a collective, not just because of the, theatrics with the popcorn and Lane Kiffin. But did you know the over for this game? Here's the thing. It was like it was approaching 80. It was 80. It It was 80. The over was 80. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone was enticed by how it played out last year, right? I mean, because that was one of the games of the year. But I think you go back and you look at it, it really wasn't necessarily because I think Alabama might have had like three t- straight touchdowns to go up, but it's not like it was this back and forth affair. It was, if as I recall, Mississippi kind of putting a, a milestone, Alabama sprinting past it, and then Mississippi late in the end kind of catching up to that. But th- there was no way that I was going to approach eighty again. Because what what was what was the total last year? Is close to it might have been close to one hundred twenty, like fifty six to forty nine, yeah, yeah. It was approaching approaching one hundred over one hundred, and then I mean I took the under there, and I felt so snake bitten because I had taken the over in Arkansas Georgia, which was fifty four. 
and it was 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. How's it go? Easy peasy lemon squeezy for this one. And I was wrong, and that's where I got the photo bomb of me on this on the Instagram account of this bar um, behind two smiling Michigan fans with their own bundle of joy um, who looked older than both the parents, but I'm not one to critique <laughs> how, that's a great how point. babies look. Yeah. Uh, uh, while, while we're on betting losses, uh, after having the over go like 11 and two in games where I'm like, here, here's an over under bet and like splitting it down the middle. I decide to take under for the Wisconsin Michigan game because who in their right minds taking the over on that. And then, Lo and behold, a mercening happened as as it is wont to do. You know, um, short fields, some some big plays given up by Michigan or by Wisconsin, and not not to get too into it, but it, is Wisconsin going to be like a team that has a great defense that just falls by the wayside because so much pressure is put on them week in and week out. They're just going to run out of gas. I mean, I don't even like their, their offense is inept. It's tough to think of like even Iowa having an, I'm sure, I'm sure we have, I don't want to go back and look for it because that sounds depressing, but it, it's hard to think of a time where I know all we do is talk about how Iowa leans on its defense and you know, it's going to come back to bite us, but it's like, Iowa had when during times of that Iowa has usually had one let's say maybe electric playmaker like Akram Wadley or mm-hmm. um, or an NFL tight NFL to caliber tight end. Yeah. Whereas Wisconsin, I don't think they have anybody like that at all on the offensive Jake line. Jake Ferguson They're, maybe. Ferguson sure. Um, but their running back Chaz isn't going to get it done. Quarterback hell no. I don't even know. I can't name one receiver. Um, I know Quintus Cephas is having a nice little career for the Lions, but that doesn't really help him right now. Um, I just I just see this whole team falling apart. Um, I don't know we'll who their up, upcoming games are, but I just don't see. Let's see who they have this week. I think it's Illinois. Illinois. Oh, they got Illinois, Army, Purdue before they kind of, they kind of have three games to maybe figure it out before they play Iowa <laughs> October 30th, but I just don't don't really see that happening. Yeah. I'm curious to see, see how that shakes out, especially because Illinois in the past has had Wisconsin's number over the last three to four years. I don't know if that's necessarily going to change under Bielema. I know that he's going to certainly bring a little more oomph to the matchup than Lovey Smith may have in the past. Um, so, uh, We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll probably talk a little more Big Ten as we uh, get into it. But um, Maryland, Iowa, it was a result that I think um, maybe a couple of folks predicted on staff. I think Rob might have had it the the most planted in, in terms of Iowa just kind of running away with it. And I watched the first quarter in and out from the Austin City Limits Beer Tent. And then I watched uh, a full replay um, earlier this week. I guess it probably would have been Sunday or maybe Monday. Um, I have to say, I I knew how the emotional swing happened at the time. And when uh, uh, Demas had his leg really just kind of bent in half, no, no other way to put it, uh, just got word that it is a season-ending injury, which is a shame because that kid's a hell of a talent. Um, it just went Iowa's way and every single break, um, and it's unfair to call them breaks, but every single time Iowa had, Iowa's defense had a chance to make a play, they made a play and it turned into one of the great routes of our time. I think Ben. Yeah, I would just like to, we don't do this too much. I just would like to do this because it makes me happy. I want to read Iowa's drive chart. First punt, field goal, touchdown, 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 field goal, end of half. Start of half, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, punt, 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 downs. And all those punts and downs were with 
the second team in, which I think it got <laughs> came in way too late, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, by Iowa had itself a thirty-one point second half, second quarter. Excuse me. It's like you know an offensive offensive explosion, like we've never haven't really seen since the Ohio State game. I think um, maybe 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 the Holiday Bowl against USC too. Um, but there, you know, special teams really helped with that. And it's like, what, what wasn't Iowa starting field position past its 50? I mean, excuse me, average starting field position for this game past its own 50 yard line, like something pretty crazy, right? Or kind of near it, or maybe on its near on its own 40, uh, just approaching midfield, which is, you know, absolutely insane and sort of goes towards, you know, I think I was bottom of the big 10 in total yards. And it's like, well, here's why, because we don't need to go. 80 yards to score a touchdown because of this defense, which I said two weeks ago is becoming too consistent to be lucky. Seven takeaways don't just, I mean, they don't just happen. It's a a combination of having great athletes against maybe some less so great athletes. And I was great athletes being coached up well, watching hours and hours of film, which is sort of how I, I think is a really good indicator of just how these interceptions happen. Um, Obviously, Demas fumble was a little bit of a took all the wind out of Maryland sails because I think they um, they were leading at that point, but then that that was over. It was just a whisper, and and really, honestly, it's to the point where it's like I I don't know what to really take away from this game because Maryland was so thoroughly outclassed top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the lesson again is like. At, at some point, Iowa has outclassed three talked-about opponents in the lead-up to this game. Whether those opponents were talked up through legitimate reasoning or not, hey, I'm here to debate that. But ultimately, Iowa has put the kibosh on three different opponents that were talked about in in the lead up to each game and that goes for something right I mean I I I was semi-joking but also pretty serious when when Dr. Man wrote up hey understand the moment and like Iowa has never once cared about a moment outside of just winning the game by one point and I have to say they they understood the moment. They brought it. And I think, yeah, the the Demas injury was one that I really empathized with. But I also think it's it was a part of a legitimate game plan that Iowa had to force Maryland into returning kicks. Shudek all season and last season, ever since he's taken over kickoff duties, has consistently put opponents at the 25 yard line well LeVar Wood saw something and in the Maryland first half five of their kickoffs were returnable and three of those five kick returns were inside of the 25 including two inside of the 20 the the Demas uh, injured kick including and that is coaching and understanding where they can take an advantage of an opponent. Now, uh, my hot take is if you get your knee blown out on a fumble because with that fumble happening because your knee is blown out, it should be Maryland's ball. But ultimately, <laughs> that that's just not the way football works. And uh, I- Iowa took advantage at every opportunity. They absolutely took advantage. And as you said, this team is too good at converting um, turnovers into points for it to be luck. Certainly some of it's luck because, uh, you know, I think Kennington, he's been uh, the man with the stats in Iowa. I think this was in the Maryland game was the first time Iowa didn't turn a turnover into points. It's It's genuinely incredible and they play with such an inevitability that it has opponents kind of shadow boxing themselves they they get mind warped in a way I think past Northwestern teams have done to Iowa specifically where 
you know, you think you have to win a different way, but really the way to beat Iowa is to play like Iowa or as best you can play like Iowa. And I thought Maryland did that a little bit with their first touchdown possession. Like, okay, this is, this is interesting because they kind of moved it down the field very methodically, used tempo a little bit, but were, were comfortable taking what was given to them. Uh, but ultimately, once once the wind was out of their sails, it was just impossible. Like seventeen to seven or seventeen to seven within you know a minute and a half. That's that's tough to do, and with Iowa's defense, it forces you now to to make decisions you don't want to make. You brought up two points. I want to get get to there. <clears throat> my fav- one of my favorite college football bloggers. Um, Spencer Hall sort of founded, I guess, ESP Nation. His whole shtick on Iowa this year has sort of been, or especially in his recap of the Maryland-Iowa game, was Iowa does absolutely nothing, and and they're not a good team. And I, the more, and that's sort of how like other blogs have been, like Off Tentacle Empire, their special brand of shtick is everybody sucks, which is come so rich coming from Illinois and Northwestern and Minnesota fans. And, and and that's sort of that's been Hall's shtick his entire life. Is Alabama has al- always been the only good team, and maybe Clemson and Georgia every off year, but it's all it's Alabama and everybody else, which is true. And his, his sort of recap just mentioned, and it, it was snarky in the way that I, you know that I obviously as an Iowa graduate I feel like doesn't give the Hawkeyes enough credit, but his. But in re- reality, it's sort of a compliment and illustrated as beautiful, much more be- uh, eloquently with you when you mentioned the kickoff strategy and his. His whole synopsis of the game was Iowa got to Maryland, held out its fist, and Maryland just ran into its fist for 60 minutes. And that's kind of what happened, I guess. Maryland did nothing to to beat Iowa. And that's the same way, you know, the Iowa State game played out, where Matt Campbell didn't take uh, take the ball to start. He deferred to Iowa for, for the kickoff. It Teams are just choosing to sort of play into Iowa's hands and – it feels like, and since I was so much more talented this year and years past, um, that that just doesn't work. You can't beat Iowa, I think, the same way uh, you've been able to um, in, the, in, in, in the past, especially when Brian Ferentz decides to have an offensive explosion when he feels like it that day. Um, second point, I, I guess I – it's less important, but it's more or less, you know, after the game, I've seen how 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 mad Maryland fans were with having Demas, you know, their most dynamic offensive player on kick return. It's like we had Amir Smith Marset as our kick return of the past three years. It's like kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? I don't think the crime is having your best wide receiver back there. I think the crime is having him not more well coached back there. Um because Amir Smith-Marset, for all of his faults, which were enough. Like, I mean, the kid was a twig his whole time. He took hits he didn't need to. He fumbled the ball a little more than, than I think anyone would have liked. But he knew how to fucking return a football. Like, I mean, he he went straight line. And then he he was able to decipher from there which blocks he needed to, to use to get a lane. Demas was running parallel to the yard lines inside of the 10. And that's just not the way to return anything. And whether it's just his natural thought or um, the coaching, it, it didn't work well. And it ultimately, you know, resulted in, in really a, a bad injury because I'm not sure that type of play happens if he's running straight ahead or running, you know, towards the near side and just takes what he can get. Because I think that's, that's the ultimate lesson for a returner is to take what you can get because there are so many bad things that can happen when you return a ball that, you know, you, you don't want to see something like what played out happened or, you know, more, less, like, uh, 
or just simply fumbling the ball or having bad field position. So, so I, I that was an absolute worst case scenario made worse by all the sort of things that, that happened. Um, so yeah, I guess I kind of scoff at the idea of having him back there. Maybe, maybe the, the crux is that they run so much of their offense through him that it's unnecessary risk to put him back there. And I do agree with that, but, um, the way it was set up was just horrible, horrible. And um, it bears mentioning Ron Zook, as I understand it, is their special teams coordinator. Former office furniture salesman, Ron Zook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There was another point I wanted to make. And I think the thing that was interesting was going through Bart's kind of grades that he had put up and typically very complimentary. And I think he did a good job, but the the most interesting one was seeing kind of the linebackers and defensive line having B's because, Hey, you give up what I would consider just, I mean, I will really just gave up seven points. Um, that would, that would yield itself to maybe a higher grade, but they, they played such great assignment football that I think, it didn't lend itself to any of the statistics. I think maybe they had one sack or two, um, but by playing assignment football, they made Talia see so much else that wasn't there. Like they were in his passing lanes. They forced him to throw high. Um, it was one of his worst accuracy games of, of his career. And I think a large part of that is how Iowa defended him up front by keeping him contained uh, and having their hands up. And and I think it'll make it very interesting as we kind of look forward to to Penn State with a, a maybe similarly skilled quarterback but taller. Do those same types of defensive approaches work against a guy like Sean Clifford? That's such a good point. I mean, Talia is listed as 5'11", which means he's honestly probably closer to 5'10", or he looked pretty small even out there. Um, so, I mean, it's just another perfect game plan. You know, as you mentioned, clogging up all those lanes. I mean, how many balls did he have batted down? How many uh, balls were tipped? And I think we only got one or two sacks, like you said. And <clears throat> we didn't need – he didn't need to get any more because – Talia was, you know, he he ran out of feet to shoot off um, that whole Maryland <laughs> yeah. team by the by the third quarter. Just absolutely, you know, pretty pretty unbelievable. Uh, and you know, it'll be interesting next week when we do play Sean Clifford, who's, you know, he's listed six two, and I bet he looks like he's six two. Um, and you know, he he looked pretty good again against Indiana. You know, there are some truthers out there. Um, you know, the aforementioned Spencer Hall, he doesn't believe in Penn State as being a good team at all, um, which, sure, I will sign up for any any Penn State truthers you have right now. But I'm just so much more, like, it's so f- foolish to say, but, like, I feel even more confident. I feel more confident about the Penn State game than I did about the Maryland game, you know, after seeing what we did to Maryland. Is part of that... Spencer Petrus's play, or how much of it is Spencer Petrus's play? Well, well, I'm glad you brought this up. I was, I was, look, I've been looking for this tweet, and it might have been Thad tweeted it, but I can't remember. But it had basically like I was leading <coughs> receivers. Excuse me, and I can just pull it up. I can't remember the, what the tweet said, but I, I'll just look up the the stats and. <laughs> I mean, our number four leading receiver is Keegan Johnson with ninety I don't want to, with ninety two yards on two catches. <laughs> two catches in one game. Incredible. He's Iowa's fourth leading receiver. Laporta's number one with two sixty three. Goodson's uh, and then Goodson our running back is number two. And I actually did want to bring up I mentioned again seeing the future. On our last spot I said I think when Goodson averaged two point two yards a carry, I think against Colorado State you know, he's simply too good to to be to have a performance like that. And so what they do, Brian Ferentz found the most creative way to get a running back involved in a passing game since Akram Wadley, without question. 
Um, it was so great finally to see, you know, plays and routes where he could, he, he could go and, and make a play and, you know, maybe be a number one or number two or even number three look instead of a number five or dump off look, you know, running, actually creating actual route trees for running back out of the shotgun was something really nice to see from Goodson. And obviously, of course, yes, Petrus's performance has a big, 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 big uh, bearing on, on my optimism, you know, because I think he could have had over 300 yards. Yeah. I, I think he had, I think Reganey had a really bad drop, you know, um, Tyrone Tracy had another, had another really bad drop, I think. And so Petrus could have had a completion percentage hovering over 70% with over 300 yards and, you know, five or six total touchdowns in addition to the two rushing he had. So yes, obviously. And another thing that I have a point, a point of optimism, there was a former player um, on Twitter who, who's on a politics podcast we'll call it that because that's what it is and <laughs> he, he was basically saying um you know at this point he was on the 2015 team and he said that the you know it, this it's special when you get to five and oh like this because everybody the the sense of accountability rises in the locker room nobody wants to be the reason for um for being you know the blemish on your record so everybody works harder everybody puts more reps everybody takes more accountability everybody is more nervous and maybe not nervous but just feels a sense of uh, the sense of importance is elevated and you know obviously penn state that same feelings in their their locker room because they're undefeated and you know they they have nice wins or they you know they have that incredible win over auburn which um, maybe it looks a little bit better after Auburn beat LSU, but I don't know. I kind of think Auburn will turn into a pumpkin again later this year. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, the, the reasons for optimism are starting to, you know, outweigh the reasons for pessimism kind of getting close to tenfold, I think, as we get to the midsection of the season. Yeah, I, I think that that is 100% the case. I think that the thing that, Iowa football proved last year was they did not need Spencer Petrus to play well to win. And there's immense value in that in college football, because how often do we see quarterbacks play like poop? Uh, Pretty much every week against Iowa. So outside of that, you know, you see quarterbacks just looking bad all the time. And Iowa built a total ecosystem where quarterback play is minimized. And now through those reps, Petrus looks like a guy who can make the throws. I think Brian's doing a lot better job of avoiding the throws he can't make and setting him up with the throws that he can. I have to say like, I'm blown away by how well he throws that over-the-shoulder catch. It is not an easy throw for a wide receiver to make, so I think Iowa probably leans on it a little too much. Like, they've, they've run it, what, three or four times the last couple of games? But it's right there almost every time. And he does that well. Um, I think he's improving in play-action rollout, but... That is something I thought Iowa did a good job in the second half of continuing to run. I think he got a couple more reps in that so he could just kind of get the timing down. And going back to the John Gruden uh, quarterback camp or whatever it is, the, the important read is always to, to hit the tight end or hit the, the down guy because that's always the progression. You go down to up, and then once that down guy gets covered, hey, you can start getting even more chunk yardage out of it. I, I think his timing is really improving there. Um, and t- to your point, getting Tyler Goodson in space is probably the most important thing that we saw out of this game going forward. Short of maybe Arlen Bruce just being an absolute stick guy. Um, so I-, I think that there are tons of reasons for optimism and Iowa has such, uh, I was emailing Stoops a little bit. His, his thing is Iowa is a funky offensive team. They don't 
as mentioned, they don't need great quarterback play to win. If you just get enough plays from enough guys at the right time, just enough, they can win games. And they've they've kind of shown that they have, I would say, three game breakers, in my opinion, with Bruce, Johnson, and Goodson. And then a lot of dependable guys with, I, I think, Jones is one, uh, Laporta is one, and then maybe your mileage may vary with Reganey and Tracy, which is interesting considering they were the most, um, you know, the most tenured Iowa wide receivers coming into this, this season. I mean, I think at the jury, I think it's way too early <clears throat> to call Keegan Johnson, Marvin Bruce, what do you call them? Game breakers. I, I think they are though. I mean, I, maybe we you, need to see it against better teams more often, but we need to see it. Uh, what did I just say? Keegan Johnson has two catches, Harrison. Um, not all his fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I th- I'd say his age has more to do with that than anything. And I mean, I think you have to put Charlie Jones in there if you just factor into his returning enough, capability yeah. too, uh, unquestionably. Um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to get too much into the Regani Tracy group thinking right now. Um, I just don't see really the point in that exercise, but. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think if we, we can just get Tyler Goodson that we that we know is enough, and then the, the solid glue guys, you know, it's sort of, most teams um, would sort of just kill to, to have something like that, this offensive firepower. I feel like, you know, again, going back, you know, the two guys who we thought would be leading the team in receptions are, are you know, are like bottom two. Um, and so it's just sort of like a – uh, a good problem to have more or less it's an embarrassment of riches in, in that sense and um even better when we can get even more embarrassing to other schools when our quarterback can finally get these guys the ball and i think what one guy additionally bears mentioning is ivory kelly martin i'm i think we were turning towards icam truthers after uh the latest one of his fumbles could turn it around. Hopefully that continues. And I think the most exciting thing out of him is it looks like he's kind of developed a little more into the Thunderback, uh, just in terms of one cut go, um, get north south. Uh, and, and I think that when you look at that against how Tyler Goodson has kind of played the last or at least most of the season, it seems like he's really been hunting those big plays. I think he's been, um, that that's really been paying off in terms of, hey, maybe we see some some running plays stop at the line of scrimmage, but it seems like there are more 8 to 12 to 20 yard runs than we've seen in the past with Tyler Goodson. And I think that that's probably the type of um, cost-benefit analysis that's, that's worth it with, with a, a player like Goodson. Yeah, I, I think I can. Certainly he's a talented player, but there's no way. I'm going to be nervous every time he touches the ball the rest of the year. Fair enough. And, like, <laughs> talk about earning He earned that. He earned, <laughs> he earned that, 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 that feeling of uneasiness every time he, he gets the ball. Um, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm not ready to <clears throat> say he should never touch the ball again. Yet I was ready to say that two weeks ago, um, but if, if and I think Goodson opening up the run game too only only helps him maybe take some of the pressure off, but maybe want the pressure to be really hot for him so he just doesn't doesn't freaking fumble. But you know, it's something I did want to ask you, sort of you know, because you brought up Stoops. His famous line was always, you know, if Brian Ferentz was applying for a job. Oh, yeah. 75% of his resume would have been the Ohio State game. And then the Holiday Bowl happened, whereas then, you know, 75% of his resume would be the Holiday Bowl and the Ohio State game. And now he's got the Maryland game under his belt. And as I we talk this out loud, we're talking about three games that happened over the course of four years. So it's still not great. But it, what I'm saying is, I don't think Brian's put two consecutive games together of great play calling. Oh, and yeah. now, now after talking myself into this Penn State optimism, 
can he do that twice in twice in a row? We don't know. I think that's a great point. I think the thing that in in emailing uh, Stoops, what he was saying is he he was very complimentary of kind of what Brian has done with the offense this year, and he he framed it up as. Uh, Spencer Petrus is a guy with a very straightforward skill set. You don't have to account for a lot of um, the razzle-dazzle. And Spencer Petrus is more than happy to just go out and execute a play. And that is probably the best type of quarterback for Brian Ferentz because if you can trust him to do exactly what he's supposed to on a play. You're probably not going to turn the ball over a lot, and you're probably going to take the profit a lot of the time, whether it's in the pass or the run game. Now, I think one area where Brian was great in this pass game was the first down pass to run ratio. I went back and looked at it, and in the first half, Iowa threw it 11 times uh, to running it 13 times on first down. And I think that was skewed a little bit by later in the first half, a lot of runs. Um, So he stuck to a script of letting the pass game open the run game. And and I think that that was a very um, self-aware adjustment to make against Maryland. I think that um, it was, I don't know if that's a sign of growth or a sign of just, Hey, sticking to the script. He Petrus, it took him a while to kind of get through it. Um, but I, I cause I think he started like three to eight and then he ended 21 of 30. I think we're seeing Brian turn into a, a fine coordinator, uh, but when you account for how he operates within the Iowa ecosystem, it is bordering on the perfect offensive coordinator because in in Iowa's offensive and whole philosophy, as Kirk Ferentz said, he said it is not a sin to punt at Iowa. And I think if you've, you structure everything else around kind of that I'll say it like tent pole philosophy. It is not a sin to punt. It, in a way, opens up the offense to do what it needs to do and to maximize maybe the little opportunities that it has and just capitalize on those. And if you get points on, um, you know, drives you don't necessarily expect to get points, that's gravy. But if you can capitalize the the drives where you're starting on the opponent's side of the field, whether through turnover or um, just great field position battles, that's that's what matters in in the scheme of Iowa football. And you know, I, I think that it's interesting. I was certainly um, down on the combination of the two entering the season. And I probably could not be, I could not have envisioned myself being as optimistic as I am about Brian and Petrus together um, at the beginning of the season as I am now. Does that mean that he can come out and have a good game plan against Penn State? Who knows? Uh, I think that to your point, that's been the, the issue with him is following up great performances with other great performances. But some of that's on, you know, execution. I think back to maybe the Wisconsin game in 2017 right after the Ohio State game. I thought he called enough good plays, but one, Iowa didn't run enough of them because they were uh, unable to to get first downs. Um, But guys got open and Stanley couldn't necessarily make the throw. So uh, we'll see. I'm not convinced Iowa needs to play great offensively to beat Penn State. And I'm sure that that's probably how I was going to structure the offensive game plan. Um, 
it's going to be, I would imagine, a pretty slobber knocker. Like we've seen more or less every time these teams have faced off, especially in uh, in Kinnick Stadium. From everything I've read, you know, people seem to be <clears throat> Penn State fans aren't super happy with their offense. They they have Jahan Dotson, who's without question one of the better receivers in the country and, and, and Sean Clifford is, I, I think more than serviceable. There's truthers out there, but you know, they don't like what else they have really from a pass catching standpoint. And, you know, their offensive line woes are seem to be similar to ours. And then, you know, on defense, they've got Joey Porter jr. Who, you know, might be one of the better corners um, in the country. And it'll be interesting to see sort of how he lines up, but I, I do sort of just feel like we're going to regress to a game plan that, that we saw against Indiana. I mean, it's tough to say Indiana because we started off with those two, with those pick sixes early and that sort of blew the doors wide open on that one. And then, but, but I guess Iowa state where, you know, it just kind of see creeps around being close the entire game. And I was opportunistic turnovers are really just sort of the X factor in it. And, I, I, I see no reason for for any of that to change. You know, I'm going to be more surprised. I will be surprised if we get an offensive output like Maryland or, or the other games I mentioned from years past. And he, I'll be way less surprised when it ends up being another 10-7 affair, going sort of one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, you look at at games so far this year. Iowa scored. Um, trying to do this from memory, they've scored uh, 20 points on offense against Indiana, 20 points on offense against Iowa State, 28 points on offense against Kent State, 24 points against Colorado State, and then 51. And can Iowa, the question is, can Iowa win against Penn State only scoring 20, let's call it 20 offensive points? Uh, I think they can, um, but if it is asking so much of your defense, and we we've joked about it before, trust and fill, yada yada. It's so much task from a defense to say, hey, we're going to go out and try and win this game, twenty to seventeen. Um, that it it's definitely anxiety inducing to be to be sure. And that's the point. It wouldn't be Iowa football if there wasn't a little bit of cardiac concern surrounding the product. Um, But uh, yeah, especially it's all exasperated too. I think with the national, you know, number three, number four, um, one and two are pretty much set in stone until the SEC championship game. And, you know, after Penn State really feels like the last hurdle to jump in this pretty young season just because of how ass the Big Ten West is. And, you know, we can make the argument for Big Ten as a whole, but there's five teams in the top 11 of the Big Ten right now. So there's no point in trying to uh, wave a magic wand over that and make it disappear. But... It just really feels like, you know, I think 2018 is always the season we'd like to talk about, the one that really got away from us. And who who did we play that really was la- that was the first domino to fall, I think, on that 2018 season? Oh, oh Ben, that is like a punch to the gut because it, it was, as I recall, that Penn State game. It was, yep. It was Penn State, Purdue, Northwestern in some order. Mm-hmm. And... I actually think you look back at that 2018 game and there are a lot of what ifs attached to it. Um, perhaps none more obvious than. Then what if you were I play quarterback for one play to hit TJ Hawkinson 15 yards down the field? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that was one because it, it, it it, it just as, there are so many what ifs. What if I? The other what if? The other what if? What the other what if is from 2017? What if Amani Hooker jumped one yeah. inch higher? Yeah, I, I mean Penn State uh, again. Yeah, I haven't gotten to Doc's piece, but he kind of 
as I understand it goes through the last 20 years of these battles, but you kind of look at the last decade and it's been all Penn state. And I think a huge, the huge factor in that is James Franklin knows how to play Kirk Ferentz's style and typically has better athletes um, to, to go out and make plays. I'm trying to remember it wasn't Dotson two years ago in the, the gold out game. Was it, it was it Miles Sanders who had um, just enough plays. Right. Yeah. And, and really, I think that that's probably the type of game that Penn state's going to try and win is, Hey, if they, if they can get to 17 points first to trust that, you know, Iowa just can't surpass that. And I think that that is a fair strategy given the the way these games have gone the recruiting talent that exists on both on both sides and i think just general style of play preferences um he's just not afraid to get down on the mud and penn state will be ready because i think they are by far the best team i has played um this season and I, I'm just excited because it's like this feels a little bit like a no-lose situation where barring an utter collapse from Iowa, a loss to Penn State doesn't take any goals off the table as far as I'm concerned from both the Big Ten West, Iowa can lose to Penn State, still win the Big Ten West. Um, and even if they uh, were to lose they can still get to the playoff I think um by beating Penn State again you don't think a 12 and one Iowa team that goes one and one against Penn State can can get into the college football playoff I I couldn't disagree more with the the no lose proposition you're posing because I think the only way Iowa gets into a playoff is undefeated Big Ten champions outright 13 and 0 and that's the only way to get in you look at Cincinnati they're not going to lose again an undefeated Cincinnati, I, I do think, you know, it might be appealing to put in a, a one-loss Big Ten team over an undefeated Cincinnati or a one-loss Power 5 team anywhere else. But I don't want to roll the dice on that. I don't want to let – I the only thing that I want controlling Iowa's destiny is Iowa. And I don't want to leave any room for doubt. And sure, it'd be a fun storyline. Uh, Iowa loses to Penn State in the regular season and sees them the Big Ten championship and beats them then. Uh, why not? Wouldn't you rather beat Iowa, Penn State twice, um, or great or point, beat, or beat Penn State, and then you know maybe Ohio State's going to figure it out. Uh, Michigan or Michigan State could easily you know continue to run the table. I would rather beat everyone. I'd love to see. I, I want to see an undefeated season, and then let let us come, come revisit this. You know when the playoff happens. But I yeah sure. It's a lose. Uh, it's a win. It's a win-win proposition in the sense, like, sure, Iowa can get to Indianapolis and win the Big Ten West for the first time since 2015. But I don't want that. I want to go to the playoff. Hey, I think that 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 is a good counter. Uh, uh, let's not leave anything to chance. Is a great way to think it about it, especially, especially of all seasons. Gary Barda once again being the CFP chairman, when they talk about Iowa, he has to leave the room, right? So any any balance that you would hope uh, to swing in Iowa's favor from a CFP committee conversation, you know, they have to lean on eye test stuff and how Iowa looked. To me, Iowa so far passes the eye test and and they do more than any other team uh, that Iowa's had in the last five years. And I would even say, you know, going going maybe back to, to 2009. Um, but it is totally fair to scoff at Iowa can still get to the playoff at 12-1. and 1. I, I guess I still, I still expect Cincinnati to get railroaded. I do too. I think SMU could easily beat them. Um, I think Notre Dame's a really bad team. Um, so it, it's 
and Cincinnati probably should have lost to Indiana too uh, in that week week three game. I think so. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, yeah, not not just Cincinnati. I mean, look at anybody else who you, who you want to talk about. I mean, the Pac-12 was a mess. Um, but like, let's see, just really quick, who could easily just sort of play sport? I mean, Coastal Carolina—they're going to go undefeated. But I don't—I don't really. I could see a twelve and one Iowa would get in over Coastal Carolina. You're right there. Well, I guess that, then then it comes down to like twelve and one Iowa versus like twelve and one Oklahoma, something like that, right? Yeah, an Oklahoma right. team that feels like they've lost three games, but they're five and zero. Mm-hmm. I mean. Kentucky is not seen undefeated, so that's that's pointless. Arizona State, they it kind of feels like they will run the table. BYU is five and zero, number ten. Who do they have? Rest of the year, they oh they still have Baylor, Virginia, USC. Yeah, they're going to go undefeated. So people love BYU, <laughs> future big future Big Twelve team BYU. So this is, I, I just need Iowa. SMU is undefeated. I just need Iowa to control its own destiny. SD, San Diego State's undefeated. Who do they have? They've got – they're going to stay undefeated. Right. They've got New Mexico, New Mexico, San Jose State, Air Force, Fresno State. Boise State's last game of the year for them. And has Boise done anything this year? They're 2-3. and three. So Iowa needs to stay, stay the course and keep that record unblemished. That is fair. That is fair. Um, as we think about the Penn State game, is there one thing that concerns you more than anything? It seems like there are maybe two things that are top of mind. Well, I mean, yeah, what what concerns me, I guess, is probably just Spencer Petras. I don't think him being competent maybe wins this game. I think he needs to be good, you know. I think... I think, and I and I'll go as far to say he was great against Maryland, so I think he just needs to be good. So maybe one step below. The second thing I think is just not letting um, Sean Clifford do stupid Sean Clifford stuff. Not letting him sort of scramble around, get get get, get greasy in the backfield. I think sort of really, I think he's gonna have a huge problem with Iowa's defensive line. I think they do a great job of contain. They're tall, they're big. It's a great defensive line. I think we're gonna. I think. They're up for having a really great performance. And then, I don't know, I have to believe they've got something cooked up for Jahan Dotson because I think he is a type of player who, if you let him run free, he's enough to beat Iowa. You know, you go back to Saquon Barkley, had over 300 all-purpose yards against Iowa in that 2017 game, I think. And he single-handedly sort of beat Iowa. And I think Dotson is that caliber. You know, he's not a running back, but – you know, it's going to be interesting to see sort of, you know, all we do is talk about how great Iowa's defensive backs are. It's going to be interesting to see how they sort of counter him because, you know, Demas was Maryland's best player and Iowa didn't need to play him, play against him for more than two drives, right? So yeah. we didn't really get a great look at how, they're, how they'll handle that. Yeah, just going back, because I think Dotson is what concerns me the most because because I think Io can still probably win without great Petra's play, like we've seen the past couple of weeks. But Dotson, you look at at his stats uh, from last year against Iowa, eight receptions, 139 yards. That's uh, buoyed by a 68-yard pass at the end of the third quarter. Um, and then uh, the other area where he could – Bernayo potentially is in the return game. I don't know if he's returning kicks as well, but against Iowa, he had two punt returns for 32 yards last year. Um, he's definitely the player that has me most concerned. Um, and then, you know, uh, trying trying to think. I, I think what's interesting, there's always this talk about, oh, what is tight end university? And I have maybe the hot take that I actually think Penn State is as interesting at the collegiate level at using their tight ends year in and year out. Um, Iowa obviously had Fanton Hawkinson in 2018, but 2019-2020, totally fine tight end play, but not. I just haven't seen enough after – 
after the catch from Sam Laporta to be wowed by him in the way that I was consistently wowed by Fant and occasionally wowed by Hawkinson. But when you look at Penn State, Theo Johnson, kid is fast as lightning. Um, that's someone that I see Iowa having a trou- trouble containing um, if they decide to really lean into his abilities. Because I, I think Dotson can be used in so many different ways that it opens up someone like Theo Johnson to, to run right by you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not ready to engage in T tight end U discourse because I think that's sort of a fruitless exercise. To fair um, enough. But like you know, I was Lashaven. He didn't get a catch in our. I, I think Miamin was saw saw a couple grabs in, in garbage time. Um, I don't know. I think Laporta's going to be on an NFL roster. And oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, for he's, sure. he's going to be an NFL tight end. I'm just mm-hmm. – Iowa hasn't loosened him up all that much. I guess he had the one against Colorado State. Where I mean, he yeah, where he's wide open. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so. so, yeah, obviously he doesn't sort of have the, like you said, after-the-catch abilities as Fant and Hawkinson and Kittle. But he kind of reminds me a little bit more of maybe like Dallas Clark – in that sense or, or something like that. Um, but I, I, sure, let's compare him to a future Hall of Famer. That's a really fun thing for us to do. Um, so, yeah. I'm not, you, I'm, not worried, you, I'm not worried about Penn State's tight ends. I'm worried about their number one wide receiver and their hard-to-figure-out quarterback. Fair enough. Fair enough. Is there a prediction you want to make? Uh, I haven't even looked. What is the line? Uh, it's been fluttering, I think, between two and a half and three. Iowa, Iowa is the favorite. I think Iowa wins a two-score game. I think. Ooh. I just okay. do. I, I, obviously, it's tempting to say it's going to be a close one. It's tempting huh. to say I was going to get a safety. It's tempting to say it's a slobber knocker, I think, as you mentioned at the top. Um, I kind of think it's we see flashes of extreme offensive skill from both teams throughout this entire game and it's and it honestly in a sense it might be sort of on a leaving even playing field even though I think Penn State probably does have superior offensive talent just starting and ending with Dotson and then the rest of their guys the tight ends you mentioned but Iowa might be around the middle Iowa I think is a little bit stronger they've you know I think Goodson will be the best running back on the field I think um the drop off, you know, I think we'll see more Alvin Bruce. Hopefully, for your sake, you'll see more Keegan Johnson. Hopefully, Tyrone Tracy. <clears throat> we see the Tyrone Tracy of not even 2020, of 2019. Um, hopefully, Nico Regani, you know, figures it out. I just think there's too many. Petrus is too good at distributing the ball across the board to to really lose this one. And then Iowa's defense does what Iowa's defense does. I, I don't think they. I don't think they take a step back at all. I think they just keep on punishing Penn State, and it's enough. By the time the fourth quarter rolls around, we've sort of broken him, broken it up as much as you could say for – I think it'll be a 10-point win. Okay, okay. I, I don't share the optimism, but I, I do think That's Iowa fine. comes away with the W. Um, I think we see more Tyler Goodson use out of the backfield. I think – that that is probably the matchup that I was, if they've been holding on to anything throughout the non-conference schedule, it, it feels like that is kind of the turning point in, in terms of uh, Goodson getting vertical in the past game and really making players miss. Uh, will it be, uh, I, I in that respect, I think it'll very much mirror kind of the score of that 2017 game where Akram Wadley had the two huge um, touchdowns to, to give Iowa, what was it, uh, this 19-17 to 17 lead, I think it was. Um, no, 19-13, to 13, I think. And he scored, he scored too quick, is what yeah. I said, right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, That's where tough. he scored too quick. Um, but you really don't turn down that many scores. Uh, but... 
Beggars I I can't yeah. be choosers, yeah. So first to twenty wins, I think that's Iowa, and I think yeah, hey, that feels maybe right. both things can be true. Maybe it can be a twenty to ten win, and uh, the, all the flashes we see of offensive skill occurs between the twenty yard lines. I was going to say twenty seven seventeen would be my score prediction, okay. prediction. and so first to twenty meshes right up with you. Fantastic. Well, Ben, is there anything else that you had? No, I keep on getting pinged at Rocket Chat. People are wondering where I am. All righty. Well, you heard it here for, first, folks. Ben uh, has work to do. So for Ben Ross, for uh, myself, Harrison Starr, go Hawks. Work sucks.